So when I was a kid, uh, the devil had a job, and the job was to uh, get me to do the thing that uh, I didn't want to do. Uh, that's what temptation, I was told, was that, that Satan was going to try to um, get me to think, do the thing, probably maybe it's something that I did want to do, but wasn't supposed to do. And so my parents would tell me, uh, don't play in the ditch. You know, in Arkansas we have rules like that. Don't, don't play in the ditch, and um, then you won't uh, be punished. Don't play in the ditch. Uh, don't don't um, hit your sister, which was ultra important. Um, she could hit me, oddly, but I could not hit her because um, I was... It took about two years before I was bigger than her. And if you know my sister, she's tiny. Um, And uh, then there's this, there's all these other things that once you become a Christian, that there's sins and you're not supposed to do them. And there's this list that we talked about a couple of weeks ago of sins. And you're supposed to stay away from the things on this list. And Satan's job, the devil's job, was to talk me into violating that list. I know the rules of the game. I know that he's supposed to tell me to do that, and I'm supposed to not to want to do that, and, but I still do it anyway. If someone said, don't touch that, and then someone walked up and said, uh, touch it, I said, no, I know what you're trying to do. But then, um, and we'll get to this scripture in just a little bit in Matthew chapter 4, we're going to spend the next several weeks looking at the temptations of Jesus. When Satan came to Jesus and tempted Jesus, and how that, um, how that informs our understanding of temptation. But then we get to this first temptation, and it's something that is just so confusing. It's bread. Satan's never... I've never felt tempted to turn stones to bread. I've just never had that temptation. So Jesus was tempted in all the ways we're tempted and also was tempted to turn stones into bread. It just doesn't feel that evil, does it? For Satan to come to us and say, bread. You know, I always always thought Satan talked like that. I always thought he had, you could just, bread, do it. I, I, I can't. Not capable. And, but that's, that's, that's the temptation. He tells him, and we'll get to the scripture in a second, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And I don't think that's that big of a temptation at first glance. But, if you want to understand Matthew chapter 4, You've got to understand some things that happened in Matthew chapter 3. And if you want to understand Matthew chapter 3, you've got to go back to Matthew chapter 2. And we don't have time. So pay attention. Because I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> this may be one of those things where it's just interesting to me, but I don't think so. I, I think you're going to learn something about the Bible. And I think it will inform the way you understand what Jesus was going through with this first temptation, and especially what Matthew was trying to say he was going through. Okay, so in Matthew chapter 2, Jesus has just been born, 
and they're trying to kill him already. Remember, the, um, the wise men went to, the, uh, went, went to worship Jesus. And first they went to Herod and said, hey, we heard that the king was born. Where do we go? And Herod said, what? It's, it comes through in the Greek. And that he said that. And then he says, and then the wise men go and find, he tells the wise men, go find him and then come back and tell me where he is so I can worship him. And they said, why did you put that in air quotes? And he said, well, I don't know. Uh, and so they went and they, they found Jesus, but then they found in a dream, he said, you don't, don't go back to Herod, don't tell him. So the wise men averted, went away from Herod and didn't go back. And didn't give away Jesus' position. So Herod did the logical thing and said, well, let's just kill all the children. Because we can't have another king. Mind you, Herod's an insignificant king to begin with. I mean, he's not like royalty king. He's really, um, it's, it's as if a city manager decided to make himself king. And just was, well, I'm king. Well, not really. You don't really have all that much authority. But the authority that he had was being questioned or being pushed on, and he decided to take them out. Get, do you remember what Jesus and his family did? An angel came to them and said, go to Egypt. So in Matthew chapter 2, they're in Egypt. Trying to stay alive while a king is killing the children. And then they return from Egypt. Now, this doesn't just strike a core in you, right? Like this, it doesn't feel like someone hits your heart like a gong and, and it, the reverb is affecting your toes. But if you're a Jewish person whose whole life, whole year, revolved around the fact that one time, a long time ago, a king tried to kill the children and the deliverer survived. Remember the story of Pharaoh killing all the children? The deliverer, Moses, survived and he led his people out of Egypt into Israel. Through the Red Sea they went, which for about 400 years before Jesus was even born, they were referring to this, the walking through the Red Sea, they were referring to that, rabbis were referring to that as the baptism of the people of Israel. So, in Matthew chapter 2, he's coming up out of Egypt. In Matthew chapter 3, He's coming up out of the water. Matthew is not accidentally doing this. Jesus is the deliverer of God's people. And Matthew's trying to show them the pieces of his life that were pointing this out. I say Matthew's not doing this um, accidentally. God didn't do this accidentally. This wasn't Jesus' life accidentally. God, there is a pattern here. And so he goes in Matthew chapter 3 and he's baptized by a guy named John the Baptist. He says, "Uh, in in those days John the Baptist came preaching 
in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. Uh, John the Baptist was a crazy person. By most people's standards. Uh, most, there were a lot of people who had, who had come and they'd gone to the wilderness or they'd gone, uh, they had been um, preaching that the kingdom of heaven was coming. But go to, go to a big city. Go to New York City. Walk down the street. Um, and just ask a stranger who's holding a sign, is the kingdom of, is God coming back today? There's about a 10% chance you're going to get a yes. Because there's people all over the place holding signs saying, and we, we just walk past those people like, like it's, well, okay, whatever. John wasn't looked on as some just brilliant teacher. He was proclaiming something that a lot of people had proclaimed before and died and they were wrong about. But he was proclaiming that there is coming a Messiah. Now, what makes John interesting, what makes John odd, is he, typically the guy yelling about the Messiah is here, was the guy who thought he was the Messiah. So he's, he's yelling about this, but he's not saying, it's me. He's saying, and he said, he said in other places, in other um, gospel accounts, that it's this... Jesus. In one account, Jesus shows up and he says, he says, there's coming a Messiah and that's him there. So Jesus gets baptized. You got you to understand what baptism was for back then, to get why Jesus got baptized. For us, we're like, well, why in the world? Um, we're trying to fit Jesus into our baptism model instead of theirs. So what happened in their day is if you went out to a, uh, to a guy who was yelling about things in the desert, a rabbi who was teaching some uh, new teachings, and you went out and you heard what he was saying, and it was different from what everyone else was saying, especially if you were a, um, a Gentile, but also this could also happen if you were a Jew. A lot of Jews did this. They would, they would go out and they would get baptized into teaching. So basically what would happen is, I, I agree with, with what you're saying, they would say to John, yes, the, the, the Messiah is coming, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, so yes, I, get, I will get baptized to that. So when Jesus walks up, and, and John the Baptist is saying, there's one who's coming, it actually goes like this in Matthew chapter 3, if you skip down to verse 11, he says, I baptize you with water. He's talking to the um, Pharisees here. And he's talking about Jesus. And he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I am, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, which is just a way of saying judgment. But it's, if you're a crazy person out in the desert, you want to yell fire at people as much as possible. Then Jesus came to, from Galilee, uh, came up to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John would have, prevent, would have prevented him, saying, I, I need to be baptized by you, but do you come to me? And Jesus is saying, I, it goes on, but Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us this way to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. I'm going to be baptized by you because I believe what you're teaching, that I am the Messiah. 
Jesus' baptism was his proclamation that he was indeed what John said he was. Does that make sense? If not, we're moving on. Sorry. Listen to it back later. Okay. So, what we've got is a, a boy being saved during a mass time of killing to be the deliverer. He comes up out of Egypt. He's baptized. He comes up out of the water. And look where he is next. In the wilderness. Actually, I got excited about that part. Let's go back and read the rest of Matthew chapter 3. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and landing on him, alighting on him, the NRSV says. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, or whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And then... We have verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into where? The wilderness. Where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And afterwards, he was famished. This has been a long setup for a scene. Not just from me, but from Matthew. When he shows up in the desert to be tested, he has been he has fasted for forty days. Remember, the people of Israel were in the desert, in the wilderness, for how long? Forty years. Matthew's trying to tell us that what's about to happen is very important. Satan comes to him. The tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you are really the Son of God and you're hungry, like the people in the, um, in the wilderness, what was their main complaint, remember? Hunger. And uh, we're farmers who you're, or slaves, you're making us fight wars. That too, but also hunger. What happened? Manna came from heaven. It's clear from Jesus' interactions with people that he thinks that they thought manna was like a bread-like thing. We're not even sure what manna is. Manna is a Hebrew word for what is it? I'm not joking. It really is. Manna really is a Hebrew word for uh, what is that? Um, it's like, like if I came out with... Um, a brown belt and some black shoes, Rachel would say, manna. You know, like so. Uh, like that. Hope I explained it well. So, there, there's, they thought that was bread, though. They thought it was bread from heaven. And um, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, the, the Jewish people, the leaders will say, well, well, Moses gave us bread from heaven. So they, they, they understood it to be some sort of bread that they were fed when they were hungry in the wilderness. And he said, if you're, if you're really God's son, you don't have to be hungry. Now Jesus answers him, and he answers him with Scripture. And we've always pointed that out, that we answer, he answers him with Scripture. But he answers him with a very particular Scripture. And actually, in all three temptations, he answers him from Deuteronomy chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 6, 7, and 8. Which are the three 
three chapters in which Moses retells the story of the people's failings in the wilderness. So, again, they're trying to tell us that this is important. That that the people of Israel failed. And the one that's going to deliver them will not fail. The people of Israel did not succeed in what God had asked of them. But Jesus is, we're going to find out. Well, y'all know the end of the story. He did it. But, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is tempted to prove himself. That's what Satan wanted him to do. Prove you really are who God just said you are. When you got baptized, remember God said... This is my son. He says, if you really are God's son, do this. Now, you may have never been tempted to turn stones into bread. But I bet you've been tempted to prove yourself. I bet you've had an idea of who you are and you wanted everybody to know. And so you lift up yourself, lift up your own desires. We don't live by the things that give us these brief little moments of joy. We don't live by these brief little moments of of satisfaction. We don't live by our stomachs. We don't live by by, by the small desires of life. Now you think we, well I say we don't live, we shouldn't live. I once heard a teenager say, um, I, I need a new iPhone. I've said that, actually. But I need a new iPhone is, well, let's just say I put him in a sleeper hold and choked him out. No. I didn't do that. He deserved it, but I didn't do that. You don't understand the word need, do you? Let's try to know what big boy words mean before we use big boy words. But a lot of us, we have a hard time deciphering, even the adults have a hard time deciphering between need and want. And we live in a a culture that tries to convince us that every little want we have is in desperate need. Not against new cars, not against, really not against bigger TVs. We bought the TV we have in 2007. Um... It was back when um, HDTVs um, cost more and weighed a lot more. That thing is heavy. And the other day, 
Macy wanted to hula hoop in the house, which is normal, but she wanted to do it on her wrist. I was like, yes, do that. Do it in the living room. Stand next to that TV. <laughs> I know what it's like. I'm not, I'm not, I, I know I'm standing on a thing that's higher than the thing y'all are sitting on, but I'm not, that's, I, we're in this together. I, I feel that. And we live in a culture that says, well, I, I, the thing I want is the thing I have to have. That's why even if, even if you're one of those people who doesn't need to diet ever, um, and all your friends hate you, uh, even if you're one of those people, there's, you, there needs to be moments where you watch what you watch your intake or maybe just quit eating altogether just to know for a fact that you can survive on more than just this food. That prayer actually does strengthen. That we can actually live on God. We can live on... God can give us real and and noticeable strength. And... But we don't know that because we have everything we need. How do I know we have everything we need? Because we have everything we want. We get, and if we don't have it, we will have it soon. You have to have moments of, of just let's not get what I want right now. I want a thing. Well, let's not get it. Just to practice self-control. So weird. I, I turned 33 this year. Um, and I, I am now the same age as Jesus when he died. Uh, and that's, I don't know if that's unnerving to any of the rest of you that he was this young and probably shorter than me. But he was. I said probably just to soften it. He definitely was shorter than I am. But there, there is this sense whenever you turn, uh, turn a new age, your birthday, that the world's supposed to like come to a halt for you. And I didn't die this year, right? I made it. I didn't. I was. It was successful. That's why I always say that the like one-year-old babies' parents should be given the the presents because you did all the work. They they made it to one years old because because of you. So y'all remember that. Y'all getting presents. But there there's this like sense of well, what what is everyone gonna get me? made it another year. That was hilarious. That you waited for the perfect pause and then hiccup. That was great. <laughs> um, but there, we have this sense of we need a thing. And that's what was Israel's problem. They were marched out of the, of the kingdom that was persecuting, out of slavery, out, out of, of bondage 
and they walked through. God opened the Red Sea for them and they walked through it. They saw God on a mountain and, and said, I, we don't even want to talk to him. He's scary, but he's the one who rescued us. And they worshiped God. And then they worshiped something different. And then they got hungry and got mad at God. So you tell God we're hungry. I brought you... God always says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. God has done so much for us that we actually have at this very moment. If we are in step... If, if we have given in to Jesus as King and sought His redemption and sought His, uh, His salvation... We have everything we need. We don't need the bread. Watch us at restaurants. When's that waiter bringing those chips? Our chips are low. You don't have chips? No, we have chips, but they're all small and crumbly. We need to get those chips out of here. Be gone with the chips. We, are, we can be, at times, spoiled brats. We can be. Us, me, you. But what made Jesus so special here is not that he had the ability to turn stones into bread. But that, that he knew that his life and that his strength came from something bigger than bread. He knew that his, his, his um, the blessing from his father was enough to sustain him. Even when someone was trying to tell him otherwise. Skip the commercial. Just practical application. The commercials are Satan trying to tell you you need something that you don't actually need. I can get caught up in it too. <laughs> I, I remember having this thought and then I chastised myself quite severely for it. And then when they came out, I, I just bought a, um, a computer from um, Apple uh, when they came out with those, um, the, what they call the MacBook Airs, they're thinner um, than the computer I brought, bought. And then I thought, oh, they would come out with a thinner version. And then I thought, you, so? Chastised myself quite greatly for saying, I, I need that one now because it's thinner. I'm not like a spy who needs to tuck stuff in my shirt and like shimmy through alleyways. I don't know why I need a thinner computer. They're like it, it weighs, it weighs an ounce. Ounce. Actually, when when I was uh, when I got a newer phone, they were trying to upsell me to the bigger, like the the nicer iPhone. And I said, "Well, what's the difference?" And they said, "The case." And it, and he said, "Really?" But the main difference is this one is faster than that one. I said, so like the difference is now, now, like that, like this, this pulls it up now, now is that, 
Like, that's all I... Because I, cause that, that might be a work worth $150. No, 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 just that quick. The difference... I bought the, the less... I bought the really slow iPhone. <laughs> but we're, they, they're trying to convince us. You need something more. You need something bigger. You need something uh, that, that, that's newer and that's, that's better. And see, this, is, this truck's better. Look out, it's driving through the mud. And you're like, wow, it does drive through the mud good. And you, I'm going to go get that. And that, that's, that's how we operate. They're trying to sell us on this stuff. And it's worthless. Like this newer, it's, you, you can survive on what you have. There's a great quote from Dave Ramsey who says, the, the secret to learning to being wealthy is being happy with what you have. Like we, we, we think we need things. And we don't need things. We think, we, I just can't survive without a thing. And you can. So focus on, just this week, see how it works for you. Focus on the one who actually gives you strength. Focus on the God who actually can redeem you. Because we don't live on bread, on technology, on on automobiles, on... We don't live on houses alone. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I think we think we need these things because we aren't paying attention to the one who has redeemed us. And we're not all that sure that God can do it. But Jesus, what made Jesus overcome this temptation is that he knew God could do it. And God did it. That's the end of Jesus' story. It's that God raised him from the grave. Jesus had to go to a cross. All of us don't want a cross. We all want not cross. Jesus went to it anyway, knowing that the God who he served was more powerful than the cross. The God he served is more powerful than death. Jesus rose from the grave and is now king, and he's the only one that is worth your commitment. You might be the only person, only God and Jesus and spirit and church and community might be some of the only things that are worth that valuable word need. Let's give glory to God by needing him this week. Show the world what it looks like when we believe that God can sustain us more than stuff. I think that sort of movement could change a community. You may be tempted. I think Satan tempts us harder whenever we're trying to stay away from temptation. But you don't need it.
He'll try to convince you you do, but you don't. You'll be all the stronger for it afterward, leaning on the one who is actually indeed strong. And if you need anything this morning, please come forward while we stand and sing.